I think even though I have no particular faith that COVID is just going to be over anytime soon, I fully believe in our ability to live in a much more harmonious, less freaked out way with this and to use it as a springboard toward, uh, you know, greater degree of knowing ourselves and living harmoniously with the planet. Welcome to the Raw and Wild Hearts, a place where the raw, the unfiltered, the wild hearts gather to celebrate triumphs and hardships, learn from each other, grow together, and break down a culture rooted in fear. We will talk, we will laugh, and we will lean on each other about everyday life experiences that we could all use a little support through, and then we'll bask in the wild, magical beings that we are. My philosophy is that by embracing the dark, we may just let in the light. I am your host, Lori Rising, healer, educator, writer, adventurer, retreat leader, birth defender, and animal enthusiast and activist, along with my wild heart sidekick kitty, Jesus the Brave. We'd like to invite you to get excited about the wild heart revolution. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. It's called Robust Health is an Inside Job with Dr. Peter Borton. Yep, another fan favorite is back. He has such an amazing holistic approach to health and wellness, which is where most of our mainstream medicine dramatically misses the mark. The last time we spoke was right after COVID became a major part of our existence here in the U.S. So we take a little time to recap what has gone down between then and now. We dive into medications and pharmaceuticals, cultural programming, and intense polarizing narratives that we're living through in this historical time in life. What I want to point out here is how important it is to be discerning and to research as many facts as you can when it comes to this kind of information. We all have opinions, as you will hear us talk about in regards to journalism nowadays, but there's always more to the story. For example, Peter talks about the wealthy class in regard to the shutdown, but what we didn't talk about is the fact that the wealth gap is the largest it's ever been in our history at this point in time, or how deep the relationships and money exchanges are between pharmaceutical companies, media channels, politics, laboratories, and the FDA. You can dig a little and get astonished at what happens behind the scenes, y'all. So what I'm saying is this, always listen to anyone, anyone with a grain of salt. Take the time to investigate further and then investigate some more. But really what it comes down to is that this episode should highlight for us how very important our robust health is. It should be your number one job in life because honestly, when you do not come from a place of groundedness and centeredness and health, there's plenty of stress and chaos around us that can decrease our wellness on a daily basis. More than ever, we have to be proactive in taking the steps to creating a life of joy, balance, centeredness, wellness, and health. Not only for us, 
but for the collective around us. This is how we change the world. This is how we change the culture, by emanating an energy that comes from such a deep well of balance that it can literally create the desire in other people to make those deep and quantum shifts for themselves. And let me tell you, the energies are so powerful right now that we have an ability to tap into those quantum shifts around us. But it takes your free will and choice to invest in yourself, in your soul care, and in your health. If you enjoy what Peter and I are throwing down today, especially since this virus for the past 18 months have shown us how profoundly important it is that we take our health into our innate wisdom and intuition, that we make the lifestyle changes, that we create the higher consciousness practices, that we care for our soul, that we get out of this hamster wheel then please, please share this episode with your communities. This is the love currency that those of us dedicating our lives to healthcare, robust wellness, and your pain-free, joyful living are sharing for free. It's how we elevate the collective. But then show the universe how deeply you do care and go a little further. Find the people that vibrate to your frequency and invest in their programs, invest in their content, invest in their offerings. That is how you change your entire experience in life. So make sure you check out the show notes below. I have created an amazing PDF for you from Peter's Protocols for Supplements and Nutrients and for the immune boosting soul care protocols that he is sharing with us today. So jump on my email list to get that download. And I also have the meditation below that I was talking about in the episode that is creating profound results for people. I keep getting messages of how it's shifting their entire experience in their bodies and in their wellness. So it's 10 bucks and it's in the show notes below. You can push play always. And do know that when we do these types of meditations, the more you push play, the deeper you move into that state of balance, of higher consciousness living that is available to all of us with these historical energies that we're going through. And an offer I have for you for high quality supplements where you can order everything in one place is a full script account in my online store for 10% off retail value. If you're interested in this, shoot me an email at therawandwildhearts at gmail.com and I'll get you all set up with your own account where you can purchase all of the supplements that Peter talks about in today's episode. The last thing I want to share is that if you want to work with me on a much deeper level, the doors are open to my amazing live digital course container right now. Registration closes November 12th. Class begins November 16th. It's a five-week live digital immersive program into your life force. If you join my class, you actually get the DNA light code activation meditation as a bonus, along with my affirmations for alignment and abundance. Those are two bonuses in the class. But when you join this first iteration of the class, you get every bonus that I add on for years to come. 
So this class will be working for your robust wellness for the rest of its life. I hope to see you there. Click on the link below for more details and registrations. Hit me up. Let me know if you have any questions. I'm doing Instagram lives every Friday until registration closes on November 12th. Okay, on to today's powerful episode. Dr. Peter Borton became interested in natural medicine at a young age, writing his first report on acupuncture at age 12, acting as counselor to his peer group in high school, and shopping the witchcraft stores of Salem for medicinal herbs as a teenager. He earned his bachelor's degree in botany at UMass Amherst, and then he moved to Portland, Oregon to embark on a healing career that would include all of his interests in traditional Chinese medicine, which encompasses herbal medicine, acupuncture, nutrition, qigong, and psychology. He found what he was looking for. Please welcome Dr. Peter Borton. Hello, Peter. Thank you for rejoining the Wild Heart Revolution. <laughs> Hi, Laurie. I'm happy to be here again. Oh my gosh. We are all so happy that you are here. I just, okay, let's talk about why I love you. You are the perfect synergy of science and spirit. Like what more can you want really? Cause people always want both of them, but to have that holistically in one human being and body, and then to entrust our healthcare to you. Like I trust you 1000% with my healthcare. <laughs> Thank you. To me, actually, I don't, you know, it's funny that you say like, oh, that's what everybody wants is this, you know, both of those things. And yet, like, I know so many people who think that th those things are at odds, like they can't be reconciled, um, which I think is bullshit. And <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I love science and I really love like the most out there, you know, unscientific stuff, as long as it works, really. Right. Spiritual, like source energy. It does work. Like literally yeah. we have scientific evidence to back up source energy. And when we tap into source energy, like that's the thing that's wild is that you can go down these rabbit holes. Oh, also you got, we, we just talked about this. You're a little, little mix of spicy in there. Cause I was like, this might be a hot topic today. And you're like, I love talking about the hot topics. <laughs> that's where people's edges are. And there's always something to learn when you come up against your edges or you get your buttons pushed that one of my first spiritual teachers used to say, thank you for showing me my buttons. Yes. I love it. When anyone can take me out of my box, like, sure. It's a little bit uncomfortable, especially when you reach those edges, but honestly, like what's the point of being here as a human, if you're not working on growth and getting better, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously there are millions and millions of people, maybe a majority of the population who have um, been programmed and self-programmed to see life as something to get through. Mm. Um, you know, like, well, I made it through another day or people asking themselves like, how goes the battle? Like, mm. that's what life is, this fight against, you know, outside forces rather than an opportunity to experience your own glory and be a conscious creator. 
Right. I think that, I don't know, an affirmation, I don't know what I would call it, but a mantra, I don't know. I like to think about is life is happening for me, not to me. Yeah, that's a good one. I think we have that hanging up in our bathroom. (laughs) Well, it just completely shifts your mindset and you actually... I mean, this is going to be the theme today, but you actually get to work with life instead of against life. Yeah, I think that that is such a, a gigantic change of perspective for most people. And a lot of people find it to be uh, an extremely difficult hurdle because, you know, all our lives, it, it seemed like life throws, you know, random and uncaring obstacles in our way. And, um, and yet when we start to pay attention and acknowledge the magic, um, it becomes more and more obvious and, and having that be a permanent shift of perspective, I think becomes possible. Absolutely. Beautiful words from a beautiful soul that I'm so stoked to be here with (laughs) y'all. For my season three, I'm bringing back fan favorites and just like my favorites, because I feel like y'all share such beautiful knowledge and gifts with the world. But I do want to start with a toaster, a prayer. We got I'm getting all excited, all revved up in this season three to the wild heart warriors in our light, especially our dark and in all of our magic and glory. May we continue to elevate consciousness through honesty, humor, humility, gentle care, soul wrenching growth and ownership and to us and to robust health. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Preach. Preach. Yes. That was kind of perfect timing with what we're talking about. So when I was saying I 1000% trust you with my healthcare, I really want to chat about this because sometimes like what we're saying is we go through life on a hamster wheel or in autopilot, right? And a lot of times with external programming that we don't even know is really controlling the way that we interact with the world. So the reason I 1000% trust you with my healthcare, and let's be real here, we are only as good as our research. We're only as good as what we truly look into. And you do the research holistically. Yeah, you really do. I mean, I think even if you are a practitioner of natural health, um, you owe it to your patients to be a scientist about it. Um, And that means not cherry picking data that supports your existing biases. That means being open to, you know, to hearing ideas that conflict with and possibly, uh, you know, completely debunk your existing uh, philosophy So you just have to, I mean, you can either be in service to your patients and and being the best practitioner you can be, or you can be rigidly attached to, you know, being a purist about what you already believe. And I can't do that. I think that was kind of the model for a long time, right? There's, there's almost this God complex in the medical institutional system where it was like, oh, they know what's best for me, no matter what. And we were not even tapping into the medical intuitive wisdom that we're born with. We know so much more about our health than we ever gave ourselves credit for it than any system ever gave us credit for. It's true. Um, And, you know, we have definitely been taught to uh, devalue 
our intuitive side, our receptive side and inner listening, uh, you know, in favor of basically always being directive, always <laughs> never shutting up, always sharing our voice. And, you know, of course, there's a certain value in being directive and being assertive and, um, and, and standing up for ourselves and using our voice and all of that, but not at the expense of listening. And, um, you know, it, it all, of course, goes perfectly well with the patriarchal structure of our world. Um, women are naturally more in touch with that yin side, that receptive side, the inner listening that comes with that. And so they've been devalued and they've been taught to shut down that inner listening and men even more, you know, most men early in boyhood are told not to feel. Um, and so we lose touch with that, but it can be absolutely relearned. And in my opinion, that inner voice is our highest self that is inseparable from us, wants the best for us, wants to express itself through us as completely as possible. And of course, is constantly sharing useful information with us. And it's really just a matter of tuning into that and listening. Yes. And um, with all of the changing energies, I mean, we are in historical times, energetically, uh, planetarily and physically with our systems being dismantled. Like there's so many things that are happening right now that we really do have an ability to tap in to that receptive place and that those divine feminine energies that I think are amazing. We just talked about it in the last episode, but I do want to ask you, so how important is it that your healthcare provider listens to you? Like how important is it that they care about what your intuition is telling you about your health? Because I don't think that has been part of the equation for a very long time. Yeah, I think it, it's super important. And also it can potentially go too far in that direction. Mostly, I think, yes, I completely agree. And in my field, people who are coming to me you know, they would never expect that I'm just going to like, you know, glance at their lab tests and then like, you know, write down a prescription and, and, and don't care at all about what they have to say. And also in especially the natural health world, I think it's very common to have people come in with a ton of their own research and they have a very strong feeling about what's going on that may or may not be accurate. And so there also does need to be a willingness to accept someone out an outsider's perspective. And to me, that's like the main reason why I would ever go to see somebody else is because, you know, there's this old saying in Chinese medicine, the physician who treats herself has a fool for a patient. And, uh, so there needs to be a balance between recognizing that we can't always see clearly the whole picture of us and of course, that our practitioner should be receptive to taking it all in and they should be discerning enough to be able to, you know, discriminate between what the patient is telling them versus what they're picking up objectively. I love that we're getting down to, I feel like the root of what could create a lot of healing in our entire world, which is balance, because we're not great at balance. <laughs> no. We like to 
position ourselves at one end or the other of a spectrum. And um, that's what's happening in our country uh, on a crazy scale around everything, really, that people are highly polarized and they seem not to see that the truth is pretty much by definition, never at just one end of a spectrum. Do you think that maybe there's um, a deeper agenda that keeps us in polarization as a world community? Um, I don't believe that that exists in the sense of like some kind of like secret ultra wealthy elite cabal that is like doing, you know, controlling us in as deliberate a way as some people may imagine, or maybe, you know, I'm, I'm possibly that is happening, but I think that we don't, you know, there doesn't need to be some kind of evil overlord <laughs> conducting, <laughs> pushing us in that direction. We just do it automatically. It's, it's in our wiring and to a great degree, it simply comes down to our own animalistic survival mechanisms. We seek pleasure and avoid pain mm. and, and, and polarization is, kind of helpful. I mean, we need to be able to make snap judgments. And so we're already built to, to see things and decide this is good or bad period. And then it, it takes work and being in discomfort to go beyond that. We want to just say, look, my mind's made up. I don't need to go any deeper with it. You know, like Trump mm -hmm. is good or Trump is bad. Obama is good or Obama is bad. Vaccines are good or vaccines are bad. Mm. And, uh, and it, there's, a kind of almost like pain in the stretching of your concepts and your brain to be in the gray of no, it's simply not that simple. Mm. It's, it isn't that way. It's not black and white. And uh, anyway, point is just an answer to your question. I don't think there's anybody who's specifically doing that to us. I think that the wealthy people of the world, uh, enjoy things being essentially functional. They like going out and spending their money and going to restaurants and whatever that depends on things working to a certain degree. I would say there's nobody wealthy as they could be who really wanted everything to get shut down and not be able to go to restaurants and not be able to fly and everything else. Um, mm. That's just me. I'm a fan of Occam's razor and I think we don't need a complicated, you know, hidden agenda to explain what happened. Sure. Yeah. I wasn't going with, um, where it came from the origins. I was going more with media. Like the media is very, very influential. I mean, subconsciously on a daily basis. And honestly, fear is anyone's greatest weapon and fear sells. So our media is very sensationalism based because that's oh, how yeah. they're going to sell. If you're talking about media, just forget what I just said. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know, still, again. I still wait. I still love the overlord comment. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I would say, even with regard to the media, I would still say, is there a specific agenda of like controlling us or anything like that? That's like a bit of a stretch to me when like the simple answer is more like what sells and right. What sells is conflict, pain, drama, tragedy. Mm -hmm. We're addicted to conflict. So mm -hmm. if there's no conflict in the headline, 
then that's just boring for most people. They're not compelled to read it. And so it's just simple economics as a media outlet. Like, what are you going to, you know, are you going to be the people who tell the happy stories about the litter of kittens that got found? No, you're, I mean, not if you want to stay in business. I think that there are, you know, media sources that at least try to do it with some integrity. And as an aside, since you're basically a journalist, I think there's great nobility in journalism. And, and there are not a lot of people, I think, who, you know, who get that and, and try to live up to it. But I mean, to think going all the way back to, you know, traveling, I don't know what they were called, like town criers or whatever, who <laughs> would, would spread the news. It's like, there's tremendous power there and you're shaping public opinion. You're shaping, you know, you could start a war <laughs> or prevent a war. Um, and so the people who, when you think back to those old newscasters who were totally deadpan and they would deliver the news without any personal inflection coming into it whatsoever, that's like, it's noble. It's amazing. And that's how it should always be. And now people think essentially they're watching like opinion shows and they think it's news. Mm. I'm glad you touched on how powerful it can be. I mean, cause literally like, and I'm, I'm a transpersonal hypnotherapist, so I'm aware of how language shapes us. We can say one word over and over and over, and it can create a narrative, yeah. right? It's pretty wild. It is. There's power in the word. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> that was a, <laughs> that like, I love how that conversation took turns. I didn't think it was going to take, but it was super fun. <laughs> yeah. You can decide whether to include that or not. <laughs> okay. So Peter, it has been 18 months since we talked COVID just came out, I guess. Came was it on. really that long ago? Yeah. Is it right at the beginning? Wow. Yeah. We talked right at the beginning. Remember you were telling us how your brain uh, was tired because you were having to stretch it so hard, you know, trying yeah. to, it was such a new virus and unpredictable virus. Right. And so everyone was kind of scrambling. I feel like to kind of figure this out while dealing with the fear factor, the symptoms were so new for us from the typical flu virus. Right. So Let's just kind of go over some things again. So the coronavirus, there are many different strains, correct? It's a flu virus. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, it's not an influenza virus, but yes, it's a flu-like virus. There are most of the coronaviruses we've encountered before are more like what you would call a common cold. Um, but some of the immunity that we have just naturally to COVID and why probably a lot of people have an asymptomatic infection about something like 40% of people might be because we've been exposed to other coronaviruses before. Wow. 40% of people have an asymptomatic reaction to it. Yeah. According to CDC and it could be higher. Wow. Okay. Well, that's good information to know. So since then, over the past 18 months, where are you at at this point? Like, have you had breakthroughs? Are you using different treatment protocols from in the beginning? What have you seen through treating your patients and just your general experience over the last 18 months? Yeah, um, things haven't changed that much for me overall in terms of like the ways that I 
support my patients to prevent it and the ways that I treat it and, and the initial ideas I had for treating it, that hasn't changed much. Um, the kinds of immune support that I recommend um, preventively and, and for treatment. And, and we can talk about the details of that stuff when we get to it. The, the fatality rate has been shown to be a lot lower over time, both because we've gotten better at treating it um, and because um, we didn't realize how many cases were asymptomatic. And so they weren't even being counted, but based on the number of asymptomatic cases that we can guess, and those people probably never even got tested. Um, most of them, uh, now we know that, you know, we're probably looking at about 0.1% fatality, at least in the United States. Um, and maybe less, um, I was really on the fence about the vaccine and uh, luckily I have the privilege of having some friends who are in that world, uh, who are immunologists or work in pharmaceutical companies. And um, I think I, like we were talking about before with <laughs> avoiding being polarized, one of the most common polarizations that exists, uh, is to be anti-pharmaceutical company. And, you know, obviously for me as a natural health practitioner, I am not specifically, uh, into pharmaceuticals and uh, I'm not a big fan of the corporations that make them specifically, but I think that it would be ridiculous to say that there aren't tremendous benefits to human life expectancies uh, because of pharmaceuticals, especially antibiotics, and that we really vanquished a horrible plague, smallpox, which killed about 300 million people just in the 1900s uh, through vaccination. So it's not all one way or the other. And with regard to this vaccine, I think that this is about the best vaccine technology that there is so far. And the people I know who work on these kinds of things are not these like creepy money grubbing <laughs> owners of pharmaceutical companies. They're scientists who are geeks and are passionate and want to be heroes. And they have kids and they want to save the world. And they're like, fascinated by digging into how they can beat this thing. And those are the people that developed this, not the people who own those companies. And the idea that it is either a gigantic moneymaker or it's like uh, a true medicine, but not both is another duality that we have to kind of break through. It's, it is both. It's like obviously going to, has provided a lot of benefit and of course, it's going to make pharmaceutical companies shitloads of money. But those two things aren't uh, mutually exclusive. But for the most part, I think somehow <laughs> this whole debate has come down to like just a couple of things. Like what we should do for COVID is either vaccinate or not vaccinate, or we should either mask or not mask. And that's where like 
that's like <laughs> the battleground. And uh, I don't know why it just has to be just one thing. Um, I think sure. Vaccinate if you want to don't vaccinate if you don't want to, but that's, that shouldn't be the only thing you do if you get sick or it shouldn't be the only thing you do in order to keep yourself well in the first place. Oh my gosh. There's so much to unpack there. (laughs) So, I mean, the thing is, again, this can take a long time and a lot of research to get into because when you do get into special interests, big pharma and look at like the correlation between the FDA and big pharma, it's pretty wild. It's pretty overwhelming. And a lot of people, it's pretty hard to even go there, right? Because we want to put our trust in something. I think it's really important that we get down to how do we work with this virus instead of try to conquer it? Because this is a virus that has animal reservoirs. It's an aerosol uh, spread virus. The Wuhan initial variant was already completely gone by, I think, June of 2020 and replaced by other variants. And those were displaced by other variants. And, um, you know, Delta was probably, you know, well in in the works in India before there was any vaccination. Um, It's possible that um, there, that we have an advantage in the summer because of higher rates of vitamin D synthesis from being out in the sun, like you said. Um, But it's also um, possible that we get sick less in the summer because viruses are way more cold stable than they are heat stable. And uh, this is this makes it way easier for viruses to stay alive on something like a doorknob uh, in the winter than it does in the summer. Um, So it's hard to say if that was actually, if that's actually a vitamin, it's probably a a confluence of a number of different factors. My guess as to why Delta blew up is mostly just because it's a way more contagious variant, uh, it causes, um, so much more replication that people are just shedding like a hundredfold, uh, numbers of virus as compared to earlier variants. And, uh, I think, you know, everybody just got tired of, of doing all this stuff and, uh, and maybe there was like a false sense of that we've vanquished this thing. So there were tons of, probably people just, you know, going back to gathering in large groups and things like that, that, you know, is obviously an easy way to spread virus. Okay. So do you think, I guess this is an opinion question. Do you think there's going to be another variant after Delta? Oh, sure. There already are. There's Lambda is another one that's like increasing in large numbers in certain parts of the world. There'll be tons more. And so the vaccine is targeted for the variants before Delta even came on. It's true. And importantly, the stated purpose of, and, and like value of these vaccines was not to prevent someone from being able to get it, but it was to prevent uh, or reduce the incidence of severe disease and death. And uh, the media, I think, did a huge disservice to 
the vaccine campaign by saying basically that it was implying anyway, that it was basically like the cure and going to end this thing. And then when of course breakthrough infections happened, people were like, well, see, it doesn't work. You know, what the fuck should I still get it? Um, but it has held, those vaccines have held up pretty well in terms of reducing deaths from COVID. They have varying degrees of effectiveness against Delta. But what about now that we know how to treat the virus better, maybe that's actually creating less fatalities and better outcomes as well. When we do early treatment, instead of hospitals that send people home that have COVID and say, wait until you're bad enough to come back and don't do any treatment in the meantime, and then suddenly they're on respirators. So I feel like we really need to look at the importance of early treatment and the effectiveness of early treatment as well. Yeah, I think all along, I wish that people could have been seeing it not as something to try to fix when it's already at a moderate or severe level, um, but that it could be something that if we really addressed it in the very earliest stages with the kind of immune support that Western medicine isn't really great at, um, that we could just have people managing it and, and rarely having it progress to severe disease. Right. So we could actually work with the virus instead of our typical patriarchal culture of trying to conquer it. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure if the way that I tell people to address it with natural medicine is working with it. I'm definitely talking about working with your own body's immune system. Um, and I think that that's sort of a, to me, like a separate discussion of what could it mean to actually work with this virus on a, what I think of more as like a shamanic or spiritual level. Um, but I always tell people whether it's COVID or anything else, um, you should have an immune support protocol, your stuff that you take, whatever that is, and they should, you should have them with you or easy to access like all the time and then start to know your earliest signs and symptoms and everybody if they tune in can start to pick up on, Oh yeah, I'm like unusually tired today. Or there's like a feeling of heaviness behind my eyes or have a little scratchy throat or whatever. And most people I think would be like, well, I hope that doesn't turn into anything. And for me, I'm like, no, that is the moment when you take your stuff and you take a nap and you do all your things. And if people would listen to their bodies and listening to your body is more of what we were getting into before, like being more yin, more balanced overall. Um, then I think fewer people would just get sick in all ways. Right. Yeah. So actually being intentional and present in the moment and in your intuition. So that's that medical intuition that we have been maybe, um, negating because we never really learned how to tune into it because we had this medical system that was there to take care of us. And this is very age of Pisces where we kind of give our power away to a system because they're there for us. And then, you know, time happens and capitalism happens and for-profit systems happen and corporations and, you know, things like that happen. But let's get into robust health. Cause I think it's really important. And I love that you're um, touching on that 
I have to tell you, Peter, after our episode, I've had a few friends that got COVID and they would text me and I'm like, did you listen to what we put out? Because Peter went through so many protocols to have in place. And by the time they had COVID, they were sick and didn't want to do anything and just started downing Tylenol. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's too bad. I mean, you know, there, I think that <laughs> so many of us just, you know, believe that, I don't know if, if it hasn't really been in our sphere that it's not, maybe not really real. It's not going to happen to us and, you know, don't want to do the work and all that stuff. But I would say it's pretty clear at this point that we're all, every one of us is probably going to have an encounter with COVID. Um, and so you might as well, uh, think about the things that I've said and I'm not to be like, told you so or anything, just, just try these things out. Don't wait till COVID happens, like play around with immune supportive things and not just like external substances, but, uh, but all of the vitality supporting things that you and I have talked about and, uh, and see what it does for you besides like the, I mean, just trying to do this in terms of how we relate to COVID is what I would think of as like inferior medicine. The superior version is like, you do this because it's supporting your ability to be, uh, you know, an emissary of love in the world and, you know, share your gifts and live your purpose and everything else that you're here for. Right. And live in joy. Even when your external world is in chaos and seems to be like crumbling around you, you can have, and this where it's bringing me back to robust health. You can be in robust health and live well, even while that's happening. Cause when we come from such a beautiful center and groundedness and having a practice for our spirituality, for our physical health, for our energy, like having all of those things to fall back on, that's what keeps you strong because the world is chaos. If you, we've all noticed, right. But you have the ability and the power and the magic within yourself to create robust health. And that's where I wanted to talk to you today because I don't feel like people are, I don't feel like this. We've we, okay. We've been in this for 18 months and what you hear on the news and media for 18 months is masks and vaccines. Like those are our two holy grails, right? Those, those are not our holy grails. As you said, this is one yeah. virus. This is one variant. It does not mean we're going to suddenly live without virus after this. Yeah, of course. This is just one of the many challenges that we'll face as a species, uh, you know, biological challenges. And uh, yeah, it's short-sighted, but this is just how we are. You know, the same goes for climate change. Like we'll act when, you know, the wildfires get right up to our houses or whatever. We'll, we'll act when, you know, our wells are all dry. Um, <laughs> it's hard to have foresight when, you know, we live the way that we do just, you know, inundated with our media stream and, you know, addicted to drama and everything else we've discussed. Uh, but now is as good a time as any to start, uh, be trying to become robust again. It's a challenge. Uh, I think that we're made of weaker stock than people used to, that there's, uh, we're not, we're, we're, we're almost not the same species as 
we were, you know, a couple hundred years ago. And uh, I, I really am fascinated uh, by Weston Price's work with civilizations that were on the verge of modernization and, and just being able to look at people who were living in an in indigenous way with an indigenous diet right alongside with people who were adopting a modern Western diet and everything that it did to them in terms of decaying their health. Mm, right. Cause we, at this point, we're very reactive instead of preventative, but also like over those hundreds of years, we can look at what happens with pollution, you know, air pollution, um, chemicals on our food and even nutrients being stripped from our grounds that our food is made in. And so I feel like that contributes to us being less robust as well. And that's important to know, like that's functional medicine. That's what I've been, I've been personally studying it because I needed to for my genetics and my health to become robust. It was that important to me to live well. Yeah, it's true. They, I don't quite know how they, they, someone was able to find, uh, especially like micro mineral, uh, content of produce, uh, as measured in studies like 50 or a hundred years ago. And, and they were able to compare it to, to today's produce and, and see that unsurprisingly, uh, because we're not putting, we're not really farming in a, a sustainable way. Um, our soils just don't have those nutrients in the same amounts anymore. And therefore they're not ending up in our produce to the same degree. Um, but we can, we can rebuild that. It just is a hard thing to rebuild on the scale that, uh, agriculture currently exists. It'll be very difficult to do it on the scale of like animal husbandry that currently exists because we love our meat and, uh, it's super resource intensive. I remember in college, I took um, an, a cultural anthropology class, and that's when I learned about the complete destruction of indigenous cultures and lands by fast food. And it's so what it's been over two decades since I've eaten fast food because of that. If you imagine the amount of fast food chains in one city, and then you go to a state, and then you go to a country, right? Like It's wild to think about where is all that food coming from? Yeah, I think I saw a figure once that like if the whole world wanted to eat and live the way Americans do, we would need 11 planet Earths to support that. Whoa. You know, we go to other countries and say, hey, you know, as you start to industrialize, you should do it this way. You should, you know, have controls on your emissions and you, you could do this in this sort of way that we're finally getting to uh, just recently in the United States. And and often the response is something like, but we want to have the American experience. We want to have the total unchecked explosion of consumption and industry that you got to have where you just like, you know, easily topped the world on carbon emissions for, and, you know, I think on a per capita, we definitely still do. Um, so it's funny to hear that other countries are like, you know, why do you want us to start out at the sustained level of sustainability that you didn't have to do when you started out? Let's bring it back actually to pharmaceuticals. Now I totally agree with you. Like we are so blessed to have the science that we have to have the people that do the sciencey jobs, <laughs> right. That create, that are in the labs making these, these, um, pharmaceuticals that actually do help extend our lives as humans, but 
let's look at the balance. Let's look at the other side to that coin. Maybe the pharmaceuticals actually keep us less healthy because we have a reliance and a dependence on them. So we just keep a lifestyle that's less than ideal health because we're like, oh no, we'll just take a pill when our, our blood pressure gets too high, or we'll just take a pill when our cholesterol is too high. Absolutely. I mean, it, it all comes back to, you know, very polarized thinking. Like many people are simply like, well, medicine is simply good. Uh, no matter how much of it you give a person, um, you know, whether there are side effects or not. And yeah, it's not, it, we shouldn't put all of our eggs in any one basket. I think pharmaceuticals can be miraculous. They can allow someone, I mean, you know, if I were diabetic, uh, like type one diabetes, insulin dependent diabetes, it would either be a matter of dying rather quickly, even with natural interventions or, um, having insulin and that I would take the insulin and I would do the natural stuff too, of course. Um, but what we're seeing so much of the time is polypharmacy where people are on so many drugs that there's really no way for anybody to actually even know how they all interact and what the total impact is on people. And there's an abandonment of natural approaches, uh, that I think would not just help us avoid disease again, the reactive approach that you mentioned, but would make us robust at a totally different, in a totally different way. Um, but, you know, most medical doctors have uh, just a couple hours of nutrition training in their whole, all their years of college and postgraduate schooling. And we've got to start to, to change the way uh, medical professionals think uh, or, you know, and or empower lay people. Um, the problem with empowering lay people is uh, they it few people have the dedication to really learn about natural medicine to the degree that they could use it really well and responsibly. We're not really relating to these substances uh, in a holistic way. We want every one of them to be like a silver bullet and we have so much more ability to uh, help ourselves and become strong without really relying on external things almost at all besides good food. Right. And I, I want to highlight something that you said, which is polypharmacy. And I think it's important to keep in our awareness. Are we looking at the relation between fatalities or worse outcomes of COVID with polypharmacy? Because I know that there are studies out there, but you know, the media is not talking about that to the extent where we should look at like, oh, if I'm on so many pharmaceuticals, maybe I should look at how I could start or talk to my healthcare provider about how I could start getting off of them with lifestyle changes so that that would decrease the possibility of having a worse outcome. Yeah, that would be a great idea. I would advise anyone who is on a bunch of drugs to routinely evaluate whether that still makes sense for you and not, you know, and to resist the idea that this is like a lifelong prescription. All right. So let's get into some fun talk. Cause I feel like <laughs> I actually like my heart feels a little heavy because th there's so much intensity in what we have been talking about. It's important though. It is important to have these critical conversations and actually be open to new thoughts and new avenues to move in your life. So I'm glad that we went there, but let's talk about some fun stuff. Well, to me, it's fun. <laughs> 
So what, what is robust health to you as this amazing healthcare practitioner that has dedicated, you know, I'm sure much of your adult life to research and helping people live well, what does that mean to you? Well, in my opinion, um, there are some hallmarks of, of robust health or what I would call maybe true whole life wellness. And the, the, the core of it is three terms to me, ease, openness, and integrity. And by that, I mean that a general experience of ease, meaning like a, a state of mental and physical peace that's with us, even when we're working hard. And by openness, I mean a tendency to accept rather than resist whatever life brings us Mm. And by integrity. I mean, a quality of physical and emotional and mental stability that can't easily be disturbed by internal or external forces. So ease, openness, and integrity, I think are central. And then, um, I think everybody should have like periodic experiences of challenge because that's how we, that's how we grow and stay strong and, uh, a general inclination to expand, to be inspired and to grow and create and share. Everyone should have healthy and fulfilling relationships and an experience of spiritual connection. Um, and if we get into like the, the details, even of, um, sort of, the, the brick and mortar parts of our lives, I'd say really whole life wellness should, should include an income that provides for your living expenses and, and leisure and good nutrition and so on. Um, and frequent experiences of play and enjoyment and, uh, an opportunity. Yes. King. See, my heart feels so light now, just hearing all of those words put together. And P.S., <laughs> I think we all have the challenge one checked off. <laughs> yeah, we got tons of challenge. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what? That was a robust list, Peter. Oh, it's so good. It is so good. I'm actually going to make a PDF out of it so that y'all can download it in the show notes below um, with Peter's information on it, because that was wonderful. So now let's get into the nitty gritty of it. Like, how do we achieve that kind of holistic health that you just like bombed out for us? <laughs> well, um, just to mention most of what I just said, I wrote uh, in this book that, that my wife and I wrote a few years ago uh, called The Well Life. And I can give you an excerpt, excerpt of that. So you don't have to try to transcribe it. Um, but yeah, I, there are a number of ways to, to achieve that. Um, one is sleep and we get less sleep than humans ever have. And our sleep is lower quality probably than it's ever been for most people. Um, despite having nicer mattresses than we used to, um, good nutrition, uh, which is as much about how we eat as what we eat, eating, you know, in a non-stressed way, um, chewing thoroughly, uh, intending that we be deeply nourished by it, um, and, uh, breathing well, breathing fully and deeply, uh, allowing your breath to go the whole way down into the pelvic bowl, really experiencing 
uh, a sense of like openness and full oxygenation from the breath, um, moving on a regular basis. And, uh, as an aside, you know, a lot of people cite this China study, this huge China study that was done decades ago as, uh, as a, as sort of, uh, an endorsement for vegetarianism because they had lower rates of certain diseases, cardiovascular disease and cancer than Westerners do. And they don't eat much meat compared to we compared to Americans. Uh, but it was only like, uh, quite a quite some years later that people were digging more into the data and they were like, Oh, wait a second. Here's another factor. One of the many ways in which our lives are different than Chinese people's lives is that the average, uh, Chinese person is about as active as the most active Americans are just in the things that we do to take care of ourselves. Um, you know, walking to a well and carrying water and chopping wood and all the things that, uh, that we do to, to take care of our house and ourselves. Um, very little of that do modern people do anymore. And exercise probably has more benefits than almost anything else we can, we could name. Um, and then in balance to that, that everybody should have a regular experience of stillness. We should cultivate stillness during waking life in some kind of way i.e. meditation, yoga, tai chi, and so on. Um, being in nature is something that is, it's a, it's bizarre that I should even have to tell people to be in nature when it's like <laughs> the stuff that birthed us and, and provides for everything we need. It, it is us. We are nature. We are, of course. So the, having nature not be scenery anymore, but like home, um, play and laughter, connecting with others, exchanging touch. Um, yeah. And, and all the things that I already mentioned. Um, I would say one of the biggest things for people who are specifically looking for immune support is that is to reduce your stress because it's a gigantic, takes a gigantic toll on immunity. And we can see it in, um, chronic infections that crop up periodically, uh, like herpes and shingles, um, that all it takes is a stressed period for somebody to have an outbreak. Um, and it's, you know, there's just a direct cause and effect there. It knocks down our immune system. Wow. I mean, just the way that we don't even like, you know, something like that can happen and we'll just be like, Oh, that's just the way it is. Instead of put intentional thought into that. Like, wait a second, I have the power to shift this. Yeah. You may not have the power to control your life circumstances, but you do have the power to change how you relate to them. Absolutely. I'm talking a lot lately about response versus reaction, right? Yeah. Peter, we are freaking <laughs> twinsies. Okay. <laughs> Everything that you just said is everything that I am like, you know, I'm trying to kick ass out here and put so much content out into the world. And this is all of it. And I'm going to add one more onto it um, because there are things that are being shown scientifically to reduce your reaction to COVID. And this could be for so many things. I hate just saying COVID, right? Yeah. Um, but also hydration. Yeah. Hydration. And I didn't call that out specifically in when I mentioned good nutrition, but yeah, I mean, 
we function on, we're full of liquid pathways. I like to say everything gets where it needs to go in us through liquid pathways. And you could just imagine in, in a subhydrated, suboptimal state of hydration, things just aren't functioning as well as they, they could. We know brain function declines with even just like a few percentage points of below optimal hydration. Um, I'm going to use liquid as a metaphor for life. Okay. Because <laughs> imagine if Whoa. like if liquid's a metaphor for life and we become fluid, life shifts just yeah. being in that fluidity, right? Yes, that's very Taoist of you. Ah, <laughs> I told you we're twinsies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm yeah, I'm so into this. What's interesting, Peter, is that I just put out my most powerful meditation to date. P.S. I sent it to you and I don't think you took it, did you? Me? Uh-huh. Oh, I didn't see it. Okay. Well, it's amazing. I get results every single time I listen to it. And anyone else that actually spends the, get this, $10, $10 for such deep health and for such a way to actually start to access a kind of health. And so let's see, in your list, it will help you sleep. It reduces stress. It um, increases your breathing. It moves you into stillness and meditation. And I believe that it can be a piece of nature because I actually take you through your innate nature in relation to nature. Okay. $10. And I am breaking my ass to try to get people <laughs> to get this meditation. Right. Oh, it's, that's, it's that's wild. A, sounds like money very well spent. Right. That's what I'm saying. I'm telling people like, let's say you go out for a uh, dinner and you decide to buy a glass of wine. That glass of wine is probably $14. Crazy as it is. I think you're right. right? I don't drink, but I watch my wife get <laughs> drinks that are way more expensive. <laughs> or even get two coffees or whatever, two teas, you know, they're $5 each. And this you can have for the rest of your life. And every time you push play, you go deeper into these states of healing and health, innate wellness and robust health for yourself. Now, this isn't the only way. So I just wanted to highlight that, but take us through some of your protocol now for robust health. We only have a little bit of time left. So if you can shoot it out quick. Yeah. So, I mean, as I said, for like, to be a little more specific to like what's happening right now, um, breathing, deeply throughout your day. And I mean, it's a hard thing to make a habit, but uh, you can put stickers up. And every time you see one, that means take a deep breath. You can set reminders on whatever technology you like to use and bring your breath the whole way down into your belly and start to have it be a, a normal thing for you. And also I would say nose breathe virtually always, unless you have to like words are coming out of your mouth or something breathe through your nose. It's way better for you in a million different ways that I can't get into right now, but, um, it, it oxygenates you better to breathe through your nose. Um, stress reduction. There are a million different ways, many of which we've, we've touched on a little bit. Um, but playing, connecting, exchanging healthy, safe touch, um, meditating, um, being out in nature and so on. Um, Maintaining healthy digestion is uh, an, uh, 
barely indirect way to support your respiratory system. In Chinese medicine, the main digestive organs are considered to be the mother of the lungs. And so um, we so often see health issues where somebody's di poor digestion affects their breathing like asthma. Uh, and the same goes for healthy digestion, supporting healthy respiration and healthy lung tissue. That's going to be that much more effective at dealing with anything that lands in there. Um, and can I come in real quick? Gut health for your mental health. Let's throw that in yeah. there. Yeah. There's the gut brain axis too. So gut health really affects everything. And this is something that people in India have been saying for thousands of years. Um, avoiding sugar is a great idea. And it doesn't have to be that you never, never, never have sugar. But I will say that if you just decide to never have sugar, it's going to be a lot easier because occasionally having sugar for most people makes them want to have sugar a lot. Um, it suppresses your immune system. And it's pretty much, in my opinion, the biggest adaptation we have asked our bodies to make in the whole human timeline is the difference between having rare amounts of sugar, like in fruit or the occasional beehive you might've found to nowadays people eating on average in America, about a third of a pound of sugar a day. Um, it's asking a lot of our bodies to be able to manage that. And they don't manage it that well. We have suppressed immune function as a result, and we have an epidemic of diabetes. So maybe avoid sweeteners. Peter, um, Peter, yes. I've been saying that for years. The two things that I feel like contribute the most to our dis-ease is our sugar consumption and our stress consumption. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I, I'd say everybody should seek out nutrient dense foods as a, as a very uh, simple way to approach nutrition, eating things that are basically whole, pure and natural and, and full of nutrients and unprocessed. Um, really basic for not getting infections is like they've been saying all along is to wash your hands and don't touch your face. Um, we all kind of forgot about that. I think I see people touching their faces all the time, <laughs> but just don't touch your face unless you just wash your hands and you will have much lower chance of inoculating yourself with some kind of thing. Do you want uh, to slap their hand down when you see that? <laughs> yeah, I would say I wouldn't even rub your eyes or, or stick your fingers in your ears. Just keep your hands off your face, especially if you have acne, then it's even more reason not to touch your face. Um, and then there are some supportive nutrients if people want to do something more. And uh, what I tell people to do, and they could do some or all of these. Selenium is probably useful for killing RNA viruses. And this is COVID is an RNA virus or SARS-CoV-2. Um, and people could take about 200 micrograms a day, or you could eat a few Brazil nuts. There's about 75 micrograms in a Brazil nut. You could have two or three of those a day. Get your Brazil nuts on y'all. Yeah. Uh, zinc is probably worth doing. Uh, it interferes with viral replication in cells. Uh, it may need to be combined with something else to help take it in. Uh, but just to start uh, 30 milligrams a day of zinc is a good idea for most people. And if you take it on an empty stomach, it'll possibly make your belly feel gross. So I'd say have it with some food. Is it quercetin that helps zinc synthesize better? Well, it's what's called a zinc ionophore. 
and it carries zinc into cells and helps it function in a similar way to how hydroxychloroquine functions. It's a zinc ionophore also. So yeah, that was going to be another one I was going to mention. So the next thing I was going to say though, was vitamin D. And I'd say if, if you care, you could get the, uh, a vitamin D test. It's called the 25 OH test. And everybody should be probably in, in the range of 50 to 70 and even higher. If you have like cancer or some, uh, you know, acute immunological challenge, like 75, there are plenty of adaptogens, which are herbs and fungi that support our ability to adapt to stresses of all kinds, physical and mental. Um, and there, some of my favorites are rhodiola, uh, tulsi, ashwagandha, ginseng, uh, an herb called eleutherococcus, which is sometimes called Siberian ginseng, um, and lots of different mushrooms um, like maitake and reishi and chaga and agaricus blazii. Um, there, Paul Stamets in Washington has done amazing work at learning how to cultivate a lot of these things and increasing our body of knowledge around this stuff. You could check out fantastic fungi, his documentary. Um, and there's some constituents, a lot of them get their potency from a constituent called beta glucan, and you can just get beta glucan as a pill. Um, having those in, it's best to think of adaptogens, not as like, I'm going to take a huge dose of this all at once and feel amazing. It's, it's much more like the long game where you're going to take these things in relatively small amounts over a lifetime. And you may not even be able to quantify the impact on you if you do it like that, but you will probably live longer and, and better because of it. Um, and then, yeah, quercetin, um, there's, uh, McGill university has been doing a study. I, I should actually check if, if they have results from it on prevention. Uh, I don't know if it's actually prevention or treatment or both of COVID with quercetin. Uh, it's a quercetin is a, a, a part of a class of molecules called bioflavonoids. And it comes from a number of different plants. And I, usually we recommend quercetin for people with allergies, um, but you, it, because it helps carry zinc into cells and, and it might function to, to help prevent viral replication. Um, and you could take, um, 500 to 2000 milligrams a day. It usually comes in 500 milligram pills. Um, melatonin, uh, is a useful immune supporter. Uh, it makes people drowsy. Obviously most people know melatonin as the sleep hormone, um, that's produced in your pineal gland in your brain. Um, but supplemental melatonin, uh, is, has actually become part of the COVID protocols of even some pretty mainstream medical institutions. And you can take, uh, much bigger doses for antiviral reasons than, um, than like what people used to, would take for sleep. So for sleep, I have people take a half a milligram to maybe two milligrams. If you had COVID, you know, I'd say you could take 20 milligrams at bedtime. Um, and then there's a, a substance called lactoferrin that's naturally produced in breast milk. That's an immune supporter. And, um, you can take, uh, I'd say a thousand to 3000 milligrams in divided doses. If you're sick and you can take smaller amounts, just in an ongoing basis to support immune function. Um, and then there's a formula, a Chinese formula called, 
uh, Jade Windscreen that uh, I think it was first written about in 1481. So uh, it is in, in traditional Chinese medicine, there's this idea of wind carrying sickness, which is, you know, kind of makes sense with uh, of, uh, an aerosolized uh, virus. Um, but this is, this formula is considered to be like a screen that blocks the wind and it's as precious as jade. And uh, it's just three herbs, um, an herb called astragalus, uh, an herb called uh, siler, and an herb called white attractolotus. And um, it's a good it's, it's good to have when uh, there are sick people around you and some people just take it sort of during cold and flu season. Um, there are lots of companies that make it and you can just find it in pill form. And that would be my short list. And that's plenty. First of all, some of those herbs sounded a little dirty, <laughs> <laughs> which was fun. Second of all, mushrooms can save the world. Everyone should definitely go watch um, that documentary because it's on Netflix right now. So if oh, you have really? Netflix, yeah, go watch it. It's amazing. And we should all be putting all of our money <laughs> to mushrooms because they could save the world, right? Um, third of all, go ahead and tell everybody where they can get a hold of you because y'all you can be working with Peter. Are you taking clients? I should ask that. I I have some room for clients. I'm I'm it it is. I will give you my information. It, I might not be able to get you in right away, but um, but I do you know mostly telehealth at this point. And after COVID started, and we had to shut down the spa in Boulder for a while. I moved my in person clients mostly to in our barn here, which is really nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> But um, yeah, let me see. What I, I actually don't even, you could go to thedragontree.com, T-H-E, dragontree.com, and you can find me on there. Send it I'll to send me it. and I'll put it in the show notes, but also take backs because I want Peter's schedule open for me. So none of y'all can go see him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just kidding. I, I want, you can support him in so many ways and get some of this magical wisdom from him. Like he said, he's got a book out that he wrote with Brianna, his wife. And then do you have anything else out that you want to plug that people could, um, get a little bit of your magic from? Well, we have, yeah, we have several books and courses and, uh, I've been rededicating a lot of my energy to a course that I put out a couple of years ago called live pain-free that's to help people find ways to manage pain and, and erase their pain, all sorts of natural ways to do that. Uh, and you could look up live pain-free on our website also. Um, and we have, uh, a lot of other books, one that, um, like when I think about this conversation, actually two that come to mind for getting to more of like the spiritual depth that we've been talking about and, and tuning into wellness by broadening our sense of ourselves. Um, Brianna and I also wrote a book called Rituals for Transformation, which is a 108-day journey through a series of lessons and journaling and meditation. And people have really transformational experiences with it. And um, then we just have this very little workbook called uh, Freedom. And it just leads people through a process for sensing your f 
physical being uh, in a way that maybe you've tuned out and learning how to feel your way through your issues, body centered releasing and letting go. And um, it's, it's simple. And yet I think it can change your life to learn how to listen to your body. Peter. Yeah. I have a living pain-free five-week challenge in my email list. I'm telling <laughs> you, we are of the same cells. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I saw that. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's wonderful. So people can dive into all kinds of um, content that you've put out to learn more about everything that you've been sharing with us today. That is Wonderful. Y'all, it is time to invest. It's time to invest in this way. Instead of that $14 glass of wine at dinner, <laughs> invest in these books, invest in these meditations, in the content, in, um, in the challenges, all of the things it's, uh, it's time, right? Yes. Time keeps passing. This is our life. And no matter what, I think that th the core of the message that I want to get to is that we can live well when we work with our balance and center and response and our robust health. We can't, there's always going to be challenges. We're humans. This is the human experience, but the more that we learn to work with them instead of embrace against them, the more that we become that fluidity that we were talking about. And this is where we're at. And there are people like Peter and I, and his wife, Brianna, and so many other people that are dedicating our lives so that you can live well. Like we don't want you to be in pain. We want you to be feeling joy and robust health, no matter what's happening in your external world. Yeah. I really feel like it, there's even a little bit of selfishness on my part, which is that I want to live in a world surrounded by people who are like really bringing themselves fully to the table where they're really consciously uh, living their purpose where they're really consciously like living in embodiment of their values and, uh, and seeing what kind of an amazing planet we can create with everybody showing up fully in that way. So, um, I obviously that would be a great benefit to each of you as well, but, um, <laughs> but what an awesome world it would be for me to get to be in. <laughs> I love that. Okay. I know we have went over time. I'm going to let you go. I usually ask who your dream guest is and why do you have somebody today to just shout out their name? Uh, I would probably, I mean, there are so many people today, I guess I would say uh, Michelle Obama. I'd love to have a conversation with her. Nice. Do you listen to her podcast? No, I didn't know she had one. Oh yeah. Everybody has one now, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I'm surprised you don't, but I'm so blessed that you decide to come on mine to share all of this magic. I love it. Thank you so much for your time, energy, presence, your wisdom, your magic, all of the things. And I'm going to sign off for now. Great. I appreciate the opportunity to do my work through your medium and, uh, yeah, blessings to everybody. And, uh, I think even though I have no particular faith that COVID is just going to be over anytime soon. I fully believe in our ability to live in a much more harmonious, less freaked out way with this and to use it as a springboard toward, uh, you know, greater degree of knowing ourselves and living harmoniously with the planet. Those were beautiful ending words. Thank you so much, Peter. Oh, that was great. You're welcome. Thanks, y'all. 
Till next time. Cheers. Bye. And with that, let's normalize the struggles, celebrate the quirks, and lean into the light. From myself and Beezus the Brave, happy Wild Heart Revolution, friends. I love being in this world with you. It makes me feel better. Oh, thank you. I love being in this world with you. I feel like we have similar work in the world. And um, I... I like to say that my life purpose is to love, heal, and awaken myself in the world. And I feel like you're here to love, heal, and awaken yourself in the world too, I guess. Yes, Kate. <sighs> yes, yes, yes.